Blog Talk Radio. Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Join America's leading relationship expert, top holistic life coach, and best-selling author, Dr. D. Yvonne Young, along with a diverse team of regular commentators, experts, and celebrity guests. Be entertained while being informed on the issues that affect you most. Don't miss it. Dr. D. Yvonne Young, providing you the tools you need to start living a profoundly extraordinary life. Good afternoon. Today is December the 11th, 2013, and this is yours truly, Dr. Yvonne Young, and you're listening to Conversations with the Saints. Hope you have had a fantastic week thus far. Um, Looking across America and looking at our landscape, it is cold out there. I had someone send a screenshot to me that um, had a one on their phone, and I'm not just talking about in the dial section. It was the temperature. So if you could imagine, man, one degree. I know for my friends of you that are listening in Canada and in certain parts of Europe right now, you are very much so accustomed to that. But us Southerners here in the United States and some of my friends out in Hawaii, it is, let me see, I checked in Hawaii yesterday. It was like 80 degrees, 85 degrees uh, yesterday. And I talked to a couple of my colleagues in the Virgin Islands and the Caribbean, and they said the same thing. And I'm like, well, uh, boo-hoo, it is nothing like that here. Now, with enough attention to being in a cold place, speaking of that, you know, sometimes we find ourselves thrown against life's wall, we wonder why. You know, God, where are you? I've been praying. I've been doing everything possible to seek your face. Um, I've been on my knees. I've lamented. Uh, For some of you folks that don't have any better sense, you even went on TBN and bought a bottle of oil from some conning pastor and figured it. You just rub this oil and pour a little in your bath water and you lit a candle, and after you've done all that you can do, things still seem not to work out. Well, I want to give you uh, a bit of hope. God does things in ways that are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Matter of fact, um, sometimes what we think is really a curse and what we believe to be abandonment and what we believe to be a situation where life is just doing everything but what we think is the right thing is actually the universe setting us up, and it's a divine move because tall trees have deep roots. If you are in a situation where you feel that everything in your life is totally upside down, I'm here to tell you I have been there, I've done that. I know any of you that have uh, read my last book, Another Chance, Where Would You Be Without One? You read in that book the story of me going home to bury my mother. And being an only child, you know that is an arduous task. But when I went home, I thought that, okay, you know, mother's not suffering anymore. I'm going to do this. 
come back and finish pre-med and go on off to med school and do what I do. But instead, I went home. Everything's abandoned, and I find out it's the very people that were, quote, unquote, Jesus, this Jesus, that, and praying with me were the folks that were the architects of embezzling a fortune from us. And I literally, at 40 years old, was sitting there broke with nothing. And, you know, that's one thing when you've been broke all your life. But, man, when you've worked your butt off of your parents and you end up broke. And then I was talking to a friend of mine um, who lost her baby. You know, this woman carried this baby for seven months, gave birth, and this baby lived for four hours. Then I talked to another friend of mine who, this is last week, you know, I'd seen her at the movies, 25 years old, beautiful spirit, just finished college and doing her thing, the kind of person that would actually bake cookies and stuff and give them the little kids to sell so they could make money. She's riding a bike home from Starbucks, uh, from work, you know, just riding her bike home, something she did every day, and some jerk gets her bike, and this girl is in a coma, and on Wednesday, my friend Chelsea died. You know, it's, you know, she's dead. Again, all of these things happen at the worst of times, and, and the Dickens classic, how can the best of times also be the worst of times? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, I have the absolute pleasure of bringing a phenomenal sensation to my program today. Um, you know, in the last few weeks, we've had been doing this thing about God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I started that series off um, with Brian Courtney Wilson, and we had the sensational Kim Burrell, and we've been going down the roster of uh, Grammy-nominated, Dove-nominated uh We've uh, even with Alexis Spite being part of this legacy, and it continues on today. If you have watched this last season of Sunday Best, and unless you are under a rock, you don't know what that is. So let me give you a quick education. You have American Idol, you have the Voice, and but when you have people singing for God, you need to watch even in archives on the internet. BET Sunday Best. Well, this year, as we know, there were a lot of contestants on that program. Uh, I think, in my opinion, it was one of the best seasons of Sunday Best yet. And um, there was this one presence that was undeniably something very, very special. This woman captivated us week in and week out, delivering a presentation that you knew for a fact not only had she been to the mountaintop, but this sister has definitely, while there, had some communion with the greater part of herself. She recently signed on to Kirk Franklin's label and his own, um, you know, she's doing a film. She's doing so very much. And let me tell you about her story, and, and we're going to go there. Some of you right now, are sitting there with that box of wine, smoking a joint. And believe it or not, I never did the box of wine because I'm not going to drink no cheap liquor when I did drink, but I damn sure knew about the sitting there smoking a joint. And I've sat in a room going, God, where are you? You know, man, I, I'm not out here being a villain. I'm not out here shaking down and robbing nobody and trying to play women. 
why am I going through these things? And this uh, particular woman definitely has a story to tell. She went through hell and high water only to be rebirthed into this magnificent, phenomenal artist. And with that said, I'd like to welcome the one and only, the phenomenal, sensational Miss Tasha Page Lockhart to the program. What's up, Miss Tasha? <laughs> How are you, Doctor Young? I've never quite had an introduction like that before. I was sitting here like, who is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, girl. You know I'm talking about you. I, I want to jump straight into this interview because we okay. this time is going to pass quickly. <laughs> there have been so many elements in life that wonderful people, great people, that if we all go all the way back to the origins of Mandela, who we just lost, and mm-hmm. we at what price did they pay to become who they are? Well, and, and, and I guess consistency, there is no testimony without you being tested and having right. to endure a test. Tasha, tell us about... Before you became Tasha Page Lockhart, the BET phenom, tell us about Tasha, the homegirl that was going through hell. Well, you know, I can't tell my testimony without going back to, um, you know, being um, molested at a young age by four members of my family, um, starting from the age of like eight uh, up until um, 11 or 12. Um, and then, you know, being overdeveloped at a young age and not understanding why, you know, questioning God, why am I built like this? Why am I getting all of this attention from men and men that I trust? Hang on, Tasha. I don't mean to cut you off, but okay. I really want, and I'm not trying to open wounds, dear, but you're going to help heal somebody right now. Mm-hmm. Let's not, well, I'm not asking you to name names. I'm not asking you to do that. But I am going to ask you to this. When you said you were molested by four members of your family, I want the women that are dealing with that issue as well as some of the men that are dealing with that issue, would you describe what type of relationship these people had with you, meaning what were they, like uncle, stepbrother, cousin type thing? Um, you... Cousins, uncles, um, best friends of my, my dad, you know, things like that. Men that I would be around all the time. Um, we were we we were over their houses. My parents left us with them. They trusted them. We grew up with them. You know what I'm saying? They were at our family funerals. We were at theirs. They were family. It's it, it, there was no second guessing. Nobody suspected anything. And I never came forward because um, I was told, you know, I would be looked at as a bad child. I was already looked at as a fast little girl that was always up in a man's face. But nobody knew why I was acting like that. Those actions were, you know, stemming from the, the, the treatment that I was getting, the abuse that I was getting. But I didn't know it was abuse at that time. What did you feel that it was? And, and give some examples of that because this program is centered on helping people to connect with their destiny through what your destiny did with you. So tell us, like, you know, what was going on that made dysfunctional seem normal? What were the circumstances? Um, Just like we would be at um, – my dad had a best friend. and We would be at his house, 
and uh, my sisters would be there, my dad, his mother, the guy's mother would be there, and everybody would be upstairs. So I, he would call me downstairs. And I mean, just like the tongue kissing and rubbing inappropriate places and all that kind of stuff. And my dad is like 10, 15 feet away from me. And all of this is going on and nobody knows. Wow. And how old were you at that time? It was between like the ages of 8 and 11 when it really was going on a lot. And, um, you know, just not knowing why all of this was happening and not wanting to not wanting to cause um drama in my family, not wanting to be the person who broke up the family. So I kept it quiet. I kept it quiet. And um, you know, growing up in the church, uh, my mom uh and my dad got divorced and, you know, just experiencing that, started messing around, smoking and drinking at the age of twelve. And then by the age of 17, I was um, pregnant, and I was a high school dropout, and I was on drugs. During this course in time, if you look back, tell me, I guess, two different things. Because one thing is when people are going through this stuff, they don't even know it's jacked up because dysfunctional has become normal. So tell exactly. me a decade where you were really, I guess, between, let's pick an age between like 12 and 16, where mm-hmm. you were like, you know what, this is cool, I'm having a good time, but you were doing, you were in the midst of a mess and didn't even know it. Give us a description of, of a Oh, moment. yeah, I mean, you, the enemy will deceive you. He'll paint this whole picture. And, you know, he really drew me in with the music industry and, you know, you're looking on TV and you're seeing these people. And in that time, it was, you know, your Faith Evans, your Kelly Price, your Brandy, you know, and I'm buying into all of this. You know, I can sing too. How come I'm not on the show? Why don't I have my own TV show? Or why don't I have an album out? And, you know, just running with the wrong crowd and you have these men that fill your head up with all of this stuff and just buying into it, you know. And I started hanging around with the wrong crowd and, you know, just totally rebelling against what I was taught and my roots in the church. And so I just really embraced all of the wrong things. And the enemy just, he he stirred up the spirit of curiosity in me because a lot of the things that I was doing was very outside of my character and my upbringing. I wasn't raised the way, um, I wasn't raised like that. A lot of the things that I was doing had nothing to do with my parents and the way I was raised. So it was just that curiosity in me, like, I want to try these things. I see these people on TV, you know, I hear the stories of them doing drugs and staying up all night doing cocaine. But they can make hit, hit records and still look nice and look prosperous. How come I can't do it? Is this what you got to do to be successful? So I bought into that. And um, So let me you ask know. you this. You said filling your head up with these things. What type of things – and statements were you being told or what type of uh, circumstances were you being presented with that was filling your head up? And what do you mean by filling your head up? Well, um, in the music industry, you know, you have a lot of producers that will, when I say fill your head up, it's like, oh, you're so beautiful. We're going to be the perfect team. I produce, you sing, you know, we're going to make it. Um, I'm going to put your album out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You're going to be the next whoever was out that was popular then. 
you know, that type of thing. You're so pretty, you're unstoppable, you're going to be a millionaire, you know, don't worry about your family, they don't love you like I do, I'm going to make sure you're this and that. So it's that type of, just selling you hoop dreams, as they say, <laughs> and filling your head up with all of this stuff. And, you know, your, my self-esteem was low because of all of the things that I had went through being abused at a young age and, you know, going into depression and I was overweight, all of this this kind of stuff, it, it it makes you very insecure, and you fall for you fall for the lies and the manipulation. So you don't know who you are. What type of things were you doing? Go back, snapshot in time again. Now you're 16 to 18 years old, and you know one of these days where you will believe in the hype. You know the smooth taste that fooled you. What was uh, describe for me one of your moments? One of my moments, I can say, um, I met up with a guy. I can't even remember at this time where I met this guy. I may have met him at the gas station. And I left with him, not knowing him, just knowing him for that one couple of minutes. Left with him. We got drinks. We went to Belle Isle, which is like an island here in, um, <laughs> in Detroit where everybody goes. <clears throat> it used to have a zoo. It really kind of went down, but... People still go there. We call it the strip, and they go there and drink and just, like, park your cars or whatever. So we went there, and I remember us having, like, 1,800 silver shots, chasing them with Budweiser. So I'm doing that. I'm drinking. I'm smoking weed and smoking cigarettes. Um, and then I was so drunk to the point where when I left there, I kind of, like, blacked out a little bit. But the next thing I remember, I, I know I was with this one guy, when the next thing I know, I open my eyes and I'm laying in this room on this bed and it's like five or six guys naked standing around me, getting ready to run train on me. And I try to come to myself and I'm like fighting, trying to get up, trying to. They they were thinking I was going to be out for the whole time. They weren't, weren't expecting me to wake up. So as soon as I opened my eyes, it was kind of like blurry. I couldn't really see that good. As soon as I open my eyes, people just start scattering, like running. And I just remember saying, like, just get me out of here. Get me out of here. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, get me out of here. And so they, and the one guy started saying, what, what, what? You didn't see what you thought you saw. He just kept saying that. You know, he thought I was going to report them. And I, I was too gone to even call the police. All I knew was, Lord, I just need to get out of here at this moment. Please get me home. And I don't even remember how I got home. I don't even remember anything else after that. I just remember being there. I remember waking up, seeing all of those guys, and I remember just calling on Jesus. Man, that is deep. Uh, what I want to do, there's uh, a song of yours that uh, we're getting ready to queue up right about now. And I, for the people that are listening, I want you guys to really pay attention to this. First, none of this uh, this interview or this story has been contrived for sensationalism. Second, um, most people at this point would make a disclaimer to say if you're under 17, stop listening. I'm going to say if you're between 14 and 17, you damn sure need to listen now more than ever because this could be you. Mm -hmm. The frightening part of this is that there are men doing this to young men now. This isn't just a gender thing that affects women but I do want those of you that are listening, especially those of you that have been 
through a similar experience to know that the moment does not define you. And just as um, you think that something that's taking place, something so horrendous, something as gut-wrenching and embarrassing is really in the end, no matter how bad it seems, it's going to be used for your good. Right now we're going to play a track uh, from uh, Tasha Page Lockhart, and it's called You Bring Out the Best in Me. You're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. We're going to check this out, and we'll be right back. Can't nobody do me, can't nobody do me like you. Oh, 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 oh. Can't nobody do me, can't nobody do me, can't nobody do me like you. I thought that I Thought I was doing just fine Yeah, yeah But when my heart was breaking Yeah And you were there just in time I never knew That life could feel this way Oh, what a change Your love has made You bring out made by Monique Thornton, 
And she was saying, you know what, I've got to listen to this show because I question my purpose all the time. Mm. When you were at your wit's end in that moment you just described where you wake up and you see a bunch of uh, naked men standing around you in a room, you're laying there vulnerable, nothing on, what did you I remember you just said, you know what, I kept saying Jesus, and I kept thinking about God being, not abandoning me and being present. What were some other moments in time when you knew for a fact that in the midst of your storm, God was still there? Um, I remember, um, I can remember on one of my birthdays, and um, I took two ecstasy pills. Well, on top, if anybody knows anything about ecstasy, on top of ecstasy, it magnifies everything that you do. So you're going to want to drink, you're going to want to smoke more than you would normally do, and it, 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 the tolerance level is really, really high. Um, so I was overdoing it. And I went to the bathroom, went to the restroom, and nobody checked on me. I was in the bathroom for two hours. I was stuck. I couldn't move. I was just sitting there. I wasn't doing anything. I was thinking the whole time. In my mind, it was like 10 minutes. But I remember nobody coming to check for me, nobody coming to say, are you okay? And in that moment, I was like, all I have is God. And I remember saying, Lord, if you get me out of this, if you if you get me out of this bathroom, I will never take an ecstasy pill ever again. If you just get me out of this state of mind, like it was almost like my body was paralyzed. I could not move, and nobody came for me. I could have been in that bathroom dead, and nobody would have known. So it just made me realize that the people that I was hanging with and the people that I was around, they didn't have my best interest at heart. They didn't care about me. They didn't care about me. They just cared about you know, how they could grant, get some type of status by hanging with me or who my mother was or, you know, um, the money that I was able to get or the drugs I was able to get my hands on. Because the crazy part about it, and this is how the enemy deceived me, I never really had to pay for drugs or liquor or weed or cigarettes or anything. Everything was always handed to me. That You know what trips me out about that is, I, if anybody be honest, all of us have had that moment where we were sitting up getting our binge on and um, you make that deal with God. God, I promise you, if you right. just let the room start spinning, I ain't never going to do this. <laughs> and then, like the song say, next Friday night you're doing the same right old thing. Oh, yeah. you um, when you started seeing yourself cycling in and out of these behaviors and you recognize, okay, you know what? You may be my friend, but you're more like my friend of me. You're not really a friend to me. You're my friend of me. And for those of you that don't speak Ebonics, that means you're my friend, but you're really my enemy. The uh, the thing that I I think about is at this point, how were you operating and not losing sight of your gift? Because I never stopped using it. That's one thing Maybe. I never stopped I never stopped singing the whole time. The whole time I was doing drugs, drinking, hanging out, I was still finding my way to a church where there would be my own church because my mother 
um, she remarried when I was 14. She married a, a pastor, and they started pastoring the church. They've been pastoring 16 years, and I never stopped going. I may not have been faithful or consistent, but I've always found myself to somebody's church. I remember being up all night doing drugs with the worst hangover ever. I was showered, brushed my teeth, my eyes may be bloodshot red, but I was at church in the morning. I never yeah. stopped going, and that's my advice I would tell anybody. No matter what you're in, no matter what you find yourself in, you may you may not see a way out. Never stop going to church. Never stop doing what it is that you're passionate about. Never stop utilizing those gifts and talents that God has given given you because it's by his grace and mercy that they're not snatched from you. Out of all the drugs that I've done and the, the packs and packs of cigarettes that I've smoked, it's nothing but the grace and love of God and the compassion of God that I still have a voice to this day. You know, there's a statement that you made in one interview where you said, you know, all I can remember is doing just about anything to get that next hit. Tell us about that journey. Where where did that take you? Because putting it mildly, like Rick James said, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, those are things that you, you said you would never do. You know, that's why they just say no and they say never say never. I'm, I've never been a... Um, I, I thought I would never steal, you know, but I, I found myself trying to, when you run out of money and you're on drugs, you would do whatever it is that you had to do, breaking in people's houses, stealing. Um, I got to I gotta get it. I got to do whatever I got to do. I had, a, I had a son. I had a young son, and I didn't have a nine-to-five job. Nobody would hire me because I couldn't pass a drug test. So how am I going to feed this little boy? that's crying and saying, Mama, I'm hungry, and I don't have the support of my family and my parents because of my addiction and my lifestyle, but they're not condoning my lifestyle. Some parents some, some parents will deal with certain things because of, you know, they just love their children so much. My parents weren't like that. My mother wasn't like that. I actually got kicked out of the house before I was on hard drugs. I got kicked out of the house with a one-year-old little boy because they found a flyer of me singing R&B, just from a flyer. And so Man, what so. they stood for was, we don't stand for this. You're not going to sing R&B and live in this house. How and that was you? my last day living at home. And how old were you when that happened? I was 19. So you're 19 years old. Was the cocaine habit still there? I didn't start. I hadn't started the cocaine yet, but I was on weed and drinking, and I was doing ecstasy. So now here you are, 19, your mom didn't find a flower of you uh, wanting to be a dream girl, kick you out the crib with a one-year-old baby, you're out in the street, you smoking weed, you popping pills, you're doing this. At that point in your life, was there a, what kind of warning signs were you getting? Because a lot of our listeners right now, uh, they if they aren't going through it, They've either been through it or they know somebody that is. And one thing that I'm going to say is we have a, a really strong following down in Barbados and in the Virgin Islands and in Puerto Rico. And a lot of the emails that I get from women is that they uh, they feel so bad because they get in this place and they can't tell anybody. It's like the further they go down the dark path, the harder it is um the harder it is for them to come back to the to the light, the harder it is for them to uh, 
uh, to exhale because now this path of shame is bigger than this path of fame. Mm-hmm. What happened when you found yourself getting ready to do something strange for some change? When was that time where you said, oh, hell no, I can't do this again? Give us, Take us to that moment. <laughs> um, one moment I can say, I was with this guy. And, you know, raised in the church. I was raised Church of God in Christ. Really strict. Couldn't wear lipstick. Couldn't go to the movies. Couldn't do a lot of stuff. And, um traditional, really traditional, strict upbringing. And um, <clears throat> so I, I still, you know, the Lord still spoke to me, even in my sin. I still had a, a God conscience, so to speak. I still, he was still very present with me, even though I was doing all of this stuff. You know, he'll never leave you, nor forsake you. So he's always there. And um, I was very much in touch with him throughout all of this. And I was with this guy, and I heard a little bit about the, um, different religions and the whole neo soul culture, the five percenters, and you know they talk about three hundred and sixty degrees and all of this kind of stuff. You know the people, not everybody with dreads. Most of them have dreads, and you know they they burn incense, and it's a whole culture. So I was with this guy, and I was at his house, and we were so to speak, like right in the act of we were like right, we were having sex. And he was drawing these circles on my back. At first, I just thought he was just rubbing my back. But then it was like a repetition. He kept, it was like three circles from on each hand, three circles. And he kept doing it, going back and back and forth. And the Holy Spirit was like, get up, leave now. He's trying to cast a spell on Wow. So and what happened? I mean. Out. So and I, I was, mean that like, other moments where I was just like I got to get out of here now. That is uh, put it in Molly. Um, that's that's strange. You know, I can tell you one of my moments was um, I my little conversion experience, and I'll share it because most people are gonna go, "Well, you did what?" But I let's just say I had three pillows on my bed, right, or two honeys and a biscuit, and I was the biscuit filling the blanks. Uh-huh. So I'm doing, I'm doing what I do and doing what I what. I mean, it was a lifestyle thing with me. It wasn't an event. And I got up and I looked at these two young women. I said, you know what, man, some something just tell me y'all need to move around. You know, this has been a nice evening, but. You know, why don't you bust a move and, you know, get out of here. I'm, I need some time. So I was, I'm sitting there and being just keeping it real, audience. So if, you know, this makes some of you go, what? Devon Young did that? Hell yeah, Devon did this. I was I was uh, smoking a joint and looking at TBN all at the same time. So it's like I'm sitting up having a conversation with God sitting on the devil's furniture, if you get my drill. Mm-hmm. And I stay up all night. I go to the potter's house the next day. I had never heard of um, T.D. Jakes, not really. I hadn't seen this dude, didn't know he was. And it was like I, something just led me to that church. And I ended up in there. Next thing you know, I'm crying I'm crying like a three-year-old girl that somebody just took her favorite toy. And and I'm, I'm if anyone knew me at the time, I was the kind of dude that slap you and make change, you know. So I wasn't the <laughs> Bible boy Billy that's going to be sitting up crying. And uh, maybe about a week later again, uh, you know, now I'm driving with God in the car going over to the devil's crib. So I, I go into a club 
And this is, I saw one of the women that I had smashed, um, and she had on a scant outfit, and the girl was had the, she was working it. And I looked at her, and I said, boo, why are you showing all your goodies? And she said, you had no problem with that last week. And then I look over, and the dude that, uh, he wasn't a friend. I'm not going to call it that demonic character a friend, but he was, uh, you know, one of them cats that the devil puts in your life. So I'm looking at him to get his shoes shining. I kid you not, if you guys know what a tarot card deck looks like, there is a card that has the devil where he has that goat head. You know, he looks like mm-hmm. a goat. It's a man's body, and I looked over there, and I saw that fool, and that's exactly what I saw sitting in that chair. Needless to say, I went out to the car and threw away my weed because I don't know what the hell was in that, but I wasn't smoking no more out that sack. And I came to an awareness that, you know what, maybe this is a good time to change your mind. So speaking of mind shifts, the next season in your life you end up with a dude that you think means something to you. Tell us when you met your love. And and about the period before Cliff saying, you know, well, boo, I can't deal with this. Tell us about when you met Cliff. Uh, well, Cliff and I have been friends for over 20 years. So when I initially met him is when I was about maybe eight years old, maybe, that I can remember. We did a United Way commercial together. I, my, my, my roots are in jingles and commercials. I started um, at a really young age. And so... We, our parents grew up in church together. My mother was pregnant at the same time with his mother with his sister. So, you know, his mother sings in the church. His father plays the organ. My dad was a drummer. My mother was a singer. They all was in church together. Same organization, Church of God in Christ. So we grew up together as kids. He told me at 11 years old he was going to marry me. He told, everybody, he told my family. Everybody laughed at him. And so... We separated um, for a long time, and then we got back together um, probably when I was about 18 or 19. No, actually, before before I got pregnant, so it was about 17, 18. And I remember him seeing me again and seeing he was very disappointed when he saw, you know, when I let him know I had been drinking and doing all the stuff I was doing because we were both church kids. And so when he found out, you know, what I was into, it kind of disappointed him. But he never stopped being a friend. So the whole time, even though me getting pregnant by this other guy and having a baby and everything, he was the first person at the hospital, the first person to always come. He was always that person that I could be at other guys' houses, get into it with this other guy, and I know, let me call Cliff. I need I need you to come get me right now. You know, I could be living with, with these other dudes and whatever, Christmas, Valentine's Day, birthday, sweetie day, any holiday you can think of, I was going to get something in the mail from Clifton Locker, a card, a CD of a song he wrote, something. And so it was just that consistency and just him showing me, I'm here for you and I love you no matter what. You know, I just couldn't resist it. And so we're going on eight years of marriage. In July of next year, it'll be eight years. We've been through some of everything. You know, I filed for divorce had the papers in my hand ready to sign, and God still found a way to bring us back together. So it's just Uh, such a story of restoration. Well, so speaking of this restorative story, you meet, you you had all of these things happening to you, and this one person that never stops seeing the real you, 
when you think of a moment like that and and you think about uh love and and what's going real there's um there's this time where some of us actually have that love and we're experiencing it right now but we don't feel we deserve it was there a time in your life that you felt like that you didn't deserve love even though you are finally now coming to a place where it's obvious that there is something very special going on with you and that God's not done with you yet. When did you feel that you didn't deserve what was happening to you? I still feel like that. So it never stopped. I, I don't I don't feel like I deserve anything. I don't. I don't I'm so grateful. I mean there's not a day that goes by that I don't say, Lord, I just thank you. You know, my family we have two children, a twelve year old and a four year old boy. And we were homeless at one point. We had found black mold in our apartment. Everybody was sick. And we had to leave our apartment and, and walk away from all of our things. Living in a hotel, living with family members, sleeping in attics and on people's couches. And I still have to hold my head up high and go and sing and, and, and act like I'm so happy and I'm this person. You know, we're taught in the church. Don't let them see you. Don't let them see you sweat. Don't let them see you fall. You're a leader. you got to be an example. So... What do I do, the person that's the example and the leader, what, who, when do I get to let my hair down? You know what I'm saying? When, who can I go to? And so my husband has been that person for me. And um, I'm so grateful to God for him sticking by me throughout all my ups and downs and my roller coasters and drugs and, you know, all of this stuff. And, and I thank God that he has never, um, he's never exposed me to my children and exposed me when he could have. You know, he never did. And so I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to, I didn't deserve to win Sunday best. I don't deserve the money and the, you know, we live in a, a, a nice area in Detroit. Detroit is really bad right now. But we live in one of the nicer areas right outside of Detroit. Three-bedroom house, two-car garage. We don't deserve this. There's nothing that we have done that's so good to deserve to live this way. It's nothing but the grace and compassion of the Almighty God that has set us up the way he has. And we're just grateful, grateful to just be alive. You know, Tasha, I want to say this. We've got another uh, song of yours that we're going to play in about two minutes here. But the one thing I do want to tell the people that are listening to this story is that, you know, you may feel like that God doesn't love you and that the uh, universe is unfair. However, what we do is we want to create God in our image rather than us realizing that we are created in his image. So the things that you have done, the things that you are doing, the things that you feel so bad about, there is absolutely positively that now let me just keep it real. Let me keep it real. There's some stuff that you can do with me where I will not love you. I will try to love you, but, you know, I'm not God. But thank God God ain't like me. And you will never get so far that you will be out of his grace. So with that said, we're listening to Tasha Page Lockhart. We're going to take a quick spin of another track from her music. It's called The Love of God by Tasha Page Lockhart. You're listening to Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Go ahead and spin that, and we'll be right back. This is the love it seems it knows. This is the love, the love, the love of God. Oh, I clap your hands right here. It came as a man that knew no sin but the 
Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. You're listening to Season 6 BET Sunday Best winner, Miss Tasha Page Lockhart. And that was another song from uh, The Love of God. One thing in America that I want you to pay close attention to is that all of you, all of us, even me, even Pookie, even the person that you probably hate or that hates you, will be given this one very special moment in life. And that moment is going to be that jump-off point that will bring into your life what you were created for. Now, Tasha, one thing that I was reading when I did a little bit of homework uh, on you was that a good friend of yours named Kenneth Daniels, a Detroit-based clothing designer at KWD Styles, attended a concert that your husband had organized in celebration of your birthday. And he called you the next morning and said to you, Tasha, I'm going to send you to Sunday Best Auditions. Tell us about that day, Tasha. Just even hearing you say that, it just brings tears to my eyes because (laughs) it it could have just happened for so many other people. You know, he, he called me. He was like, first of all, my brother, so many people showed up. We had to turn people away. Just to feel the love from my city, you know, I I go out and I support a lot of people in the city of Detroit. So so for that to be reciprocated, and to know that people love and care about me and they and they appreciate the gift that God has given me, it was so rewarding and it was a validating moment. It was just like letting me know, you know, you do have it. You can do this. Go out there, give it your best shot. Whatever happens, happens. It's in God's hands. And so he called me and was like, it's your time. You've been on my heart and in my spirit, and I want to pay for everything and send you to um, audition. And, and you know, personally, if you buy a ticket the week of, the auditions was in five days. So I missed the Chicago audition. The auditions, I had to fly to Houston. So that ticket had to be well over $1,000. And um, he sent me with no complaints. I went there, I had, and it was my birthday, so I had a couple of days to relax, and my husband made sure I had shopping money. It was just a great week. And I went, and um, I gave him my best shot. I didn't even think I was going to make it. And this right here is a prime example of a divine appointment. And when it's your time and your season, nobody and no demon in hell can stop it. Because later on, the producers of the show came back and told me that I was on the alternate list up until an hour before the list of the 20 contestants had to be turned in. I wasn't even really picked to be on the show, intervened, and made sure that I was there. I needed to be there. Wait, wait, back up. So here you are. There are thousands of people auditioning to be on BET Sunday Best. As we know, the line wrapped around the building in every city that they audition. You become one out of fifteen to 20,000 people. You become one, and then you make it down, and you're not even picked as a contestant. You're picked as an alternate. What happened that took you from alternate to contestant? God put me on somebody's mind. I can't even say a specific. I just don't know. All they said was, you know, up until an hour before the list was supposed to be turned in, somebody, you know, threw my name out there and was like, no, this girl needs to be on here. This girl right here needs to be on the show. And so, you know, my mother is a gospel singer. Her name is Lisa Page Brooks. And a lot of people, I was getting a lot of flack 
about, you know, she's only on here because of her mom and this and that. The producers told me they had no idea who my mother was when they picked me up for the show. They didn't find out about that afterwards, until afterwards. Well, I can tell you this. To win over Donnie McClurkin, CeCe Winans, Yolanda Adams, and my my buddy Kim Burrell, uh, you definitely had to have something very, very special about you that resonated not only in their minds but in the minds of America. Um, talking about Sunday Best and talking about uh, such a transformation in your life, which you know you got to give me a ride in that Ford Fusion when I come to Detroit. But okay. the, uh, <laughs> oh, girl, I'm serious. I'm going to have on my Sunday Best and we're going to go profiting. Uh, but you ride out. You, if you come to Detroit, you got to get some gators, though. Oh, I got to get. You know what? I'm going to get a pair of gators. But unlike a lot of my brothers around the country, they will not be yellow, red, or blue. Anyway. Oh no! Gotta, you got to get you some black ones or some brown ones. Just keep it safe. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Because I saw a brother <laughs> with some uh, yellow gator. Never mind. But we're not going to talk about that state because I got to go there soon. Um, but but here's my question for you. If you were going to give a message out to the millions of people that are going to hear this show and listening to you now, what is the message of knowing when it's your time? Because there are a lot of people that are about to blow a blessing, miss a moment, because they don't know or they cannot spot that. You know what? Right now, it's my time. What's your advice? When the my pastor told me this, his name is Pastor Ryan Griffin, and he always tells me, he says, whenever you're getting ready, you're getting ready to be blessed by God. Whenever you know it's your time, it's like the enemy will try to come against you with everything that he got. Whenever you know I've been faithful, <clears throat> I tithe, I give, I love, I'm doing everything possible to stay in this position. I'm doing everything that I know to do to please God. I'm striving every day to be right before God. And everything seems like it's coming against you. And then especially the enemy is going to try to do what we call a sucker punch. When you are already down, he's going to try his last attempt to try to keep you from being faithful, to try to keep you and try to make you turn away from God. Whenever you feel like I've been kicked when I'm down, that's right then and there in that moment is when something amazing is getting ready to happen. It might sound crazy, but if you could just stick in there, no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it seems, never turn your back on God. Make him your priority and keep him first. Watch God blow your mind. Wow. You know, that brings me back to a moment. Um, I know I've had many of those moments, and with new levels come new devils. I would advise everyone that is listening to this show to take a serious note of that because you never know in your darkest hour, that is when the light of what your creator has fashioned for you will shine most bright. So don't give up the fight. You're much stronger than you think. Going into these last few minutes, uh, I know you've got some happenings up in Detroit and you've got some tour dates, one of them with, uh, to my understanding, I think you're doing some with Donald Lawrence. Is that correct? Yes. This Saturday is going to be at Greater Grace Temple um, on West 7 Mile in Detroit, Michigan. And it's called the Concert for um, the Most Powerful Voices Concert, and it's sponsored by the American Heart Association. So I'm very excited about that. Okay. What do you uh, have any 
new album projects coming out, any movies you're going to be in on tour in any cities? If so, let us know what you've got going on. And, and beyond that, how can your fans get in contact with you? Well, this Friday, I'm going to be in Hayward, California, at the Glad Tidings Church of God in Christ with one of my Sunday best um, brothers, Tyler Little. So I'm excited about that. Um, also, of course, we, we just talked about the concert on Saturday. And then um, coming up, I'll be in Vegas. Uh, I'll be back in Oakland on the 25th, and I'll be in Vegas the 26th and 27th. And then coming up, um, you know, in January, it'll be um, – I'll be in, uh, you know, Stellar Weekend and a whole bunch of events surrounding the Stellars and things like that. And then in March, um, I filmed the movie, and this is crazy how this happened. I was told I was coming to do a play. The director called me. His name is Paul Hanna. He's based out of L.A. I thought I was going to, to, to do a play. When I got there, they said, Miss Lockhart, here's your trailer. You're the lead actress in this movie. It was only 18 scenes in the movie. I was in 17 of the films. Wow. Nothing will well, die. The, the movie will be out on DVD in March, and it will also be aired on BET, and it's called Who Can I Run To? Marvin Sapp is in it, Jessica Reedy is in it, Little Mo is in it, Antoine Tanner, myself, and um, Cherry Johnson. So I'm just I'm excited about everything that God is doing, moving me more into acting and things like that, and there's some endorsements on the horizon. So God is just amazing, and I'm walking in it. I'm walking this journey out. I just want to be that example to not just the youth, but to all people. You can be saved. You can have fun. You can be with one man. You can be faithful. You can have children. You can have balance. You know, I put my children and my family first. They travel with me. Um, I never neglect my children for my career, all of these things. And I just, I love, love, love God, and I love his people. You know, one thing I want to thank you is that uh, Tasha Page Lockhart, thank you so much for being on Conversations with Dr. D. Von Young. You are the evidence and the proof that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You have an open invitation to come back to the show. Thanks for spending your lunchtime love with us today. We love you, girl. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. Uh, America, that was Tasha Page Lockhart, the season six winner of BET Sunday Best. The one thing I want you guys to take away listening to on this program, uh, and if you missed any part of the interview, you can definitely go and check it out. It is in our archive, is that he, God uses extraordinary sets of circumstances to do phenomenal things with normal, everyday people, people just like you and me. So with that said, if you feel that this is your darkest hour, if you are about to give up, if you have reached the limit of your patience and your understanding, you don't want to fill out another doggone job application, you have gotten to a point where you feel like the lights have been off just one too many times, you've been betrayed, you've gotten your heart broken, you're ready to throw in the towel, you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, boo, don't. That is the evidence that this is your season. The enemy only attacks people that he knows God is going to use. And his game is real simple. He can't stop 
what's been deposited in you. He cannot stop what God is doing in you. He cannot retard or make uh, in any way diminish the anointing that is on your life. Here's how you know that it's about to go down. When your enemies even recognize your gifts, when someone that you thought didn't even matter puts a good comment on your Facebook page or all of a sudden someone that, you know, you know, dang well, you and them ain't exactly sitting horses and they give you an encouraging word or you just show up and a total stranger does something, an act of kindness or an act of compassion for you out there, clear blue, and you're going, why did you buy my lunch today? Why did you, uh, how did you know I, and, and I'm going to give you a big one. When you get some help that you didn't even ask for, to do something that you were about to give up on doing, like you weren't going to go to that interview, but someone happens to say, you know what, I still got a bus card you can use. Or somebody tells you, you know, I was going to uh, throw this out or donate it somewhere, but somebody told me to give it to you. You know, be very sensitive to unique beginnings because God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts aren't your thoughts. And more than anything else, if you don't expect a miracle, how in the dickens are you going to get one? Well, you just heard proof from Tasha Page Lockhart. She, just like me, was sitting in there smoking a joint, tripping, you know, doing things that weren't exactly all that holy or religious. But the good part of it is, aren't you God? Aren't you glad that God does not use religious fake people? He uses ordinary folk people that have issues just like me and you. As a matter of fact, even Jesus didn't have exactly the best crib when he started out. Think about it. Dude was born in a manger. You know what I'm saying, man? That's that's about as low as you can go. That's the equivalent of being in the by the hour motel, you feeling me? So no matter how humble your beginnings, I want you to know he who began a good and perfect work in you will see it through his very perfection and the footsteps, no matter how much um, cow manure and mud and dirty streets you're walking through, God is still ordering your every step. So with that said, quit talking and start doing because God only steers moving vehicles. Anyway, we're going to have a heck of a show for you on Sunday. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and Julia, hop in and correct me if I say it wrong, we are going to be talking about some polygamy and some real strange stuff about dudes having more than one wife. If you ever wanted to catch a controversial show, you know who Paul Mooney is. If you watch Negro Damas on uh, Dave Chappelle, he has some boys, the Mooney twins. And, I mean, these, these brothers are not only brilliant, but they're very unique. And one of them just happens to be a polygamist. So uh, you do not want to miss this Sunday show. With that said, I want you guys to have an enjoyable week. I love you, and if you are looking for the love of your life, Julia, you know that's the sign. Cue the music, baby. You know, the one person that can love you better than anybody else, who else but you? Oh, and me too. I love you. Have an awesome week. This has been Conversations with Dr. D. Yvonne Young. Talk to you Sunday night. Have a great day.